0: That's 800-984-4207.
1: Live from San Francisco on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network, you are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with your hosts, Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's get it on!
2: How's it going, everybody? Brian Alvarez here on Wrestling Observer Live. We are here every day, Monday through Friday, noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, Sunday, 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern. we got a lot of news to get into today, as always. Raw is tonight, 3-hour Raw, leading to the Crown Jewel Show a week from this Thursday. It's a week from this Thursday. Friday is the SmackDown Go-Home Show. And even though it's on FS1 and is going to do a terrible number... Brock Lesnar is going to be there. Ric Flair is going to be there. Hulk Hogan is going to be there. Loading up that show because they got to make their money in Saudi Arabia. We can talk about that here today on the program. We have an update on a couple of injuries in pro wrestling. One more serious than the other. And I'm not downplaying the Xavier Woods injury. He suffered an Achilles tendon injury, which is a very serious injury. We don't know the severity yet. He could be out of action for a long time. But the very serious injury is Laparca fifty three year old Laparca, the AAA version of Laparca, not the original, not l. A. Park. This is Laparca. He went for a tope, and he hit his head on the guardrail and the ground and was out. And they transported him to the hospital. I believe he went to the hospital when he was still unconscious. When he got there, he told them he could not feel his legs. Later, he began to regain feeling in his legs. And the latest that we heard is he is undergoing neck surgery today. Appears he suffered a broken neck. We'll give you the updates whenever we get them. But that is the LaParca story. He had been talking about retiring. He's got a lot of injuries. He wanted to do a run with his son. Hopefully, he is okay. Xavier Woods was wrestling in Sydney, Australia, They were doing a tag team match. He got hurt. They threw up the X sign. Biggie ended up working out the rest of the match by himself against the Revival. The Revival won. He has an Achilles tendon injury. We don't know anything more about it. Could be very, very serious. Could not be very serious. We'll let you know when we know more. Back in a moment to kick off the news and more, Wrestling Observer Live.
0: 9321749 Hey
1: travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online.
0: That's 855-325-1780.
3: Do you owe $10,000 or more on at least two federal student loans? Then you may qualify for new programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs can reduce your interest, lower your payments, and possibly qualify you for loan forgiveness. If you have $10,000 or more and at least two federal student loans and currently not in school, you may qualify for one of these programs. Call now to check your eligibility. Student loan advisors are standing by to help you determine if you qualify for these new programs. They can help you reduce your interest, lower your payment, and even forgive a portion of your student loan debt. Take control of your financial future. Make this free 5-minute free call now to Nationwide Student Loans and learn how you can reduce your student loan debt. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851. 800-439-7851.
1: You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
2: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Sempervivi, also of WrestlingObserver.com. For the moment, if you want to contact us here today, send us a text message, 425-780-7566. That is 425-780-7566. Perhaps we will take some calls later on today. We'll see how much news we get through here. There's a lot to get into. Last night I watched the Bound for Glory show. And I'm not trying to sound like a jerk here, but did anybody else watch this show? We got very, very, very little feedback on this Bound for Glory show. It started out very bad, and I thought it ended pretty good. And then there was everything in the middle. The gauntlet match at the beginning was not good at all. 20-person gauntlet with the winner getting a shot at any belt they want. Eddie Edwards started. Eddie Edwards won. We had all sorts of people in the middle. You can skip this match. Put it that way. Taya Valkyrie to Neil Dashwood was okay. It was all right. RVD and Rhino versus Willie Mack and Rich Swan versus the North was a pretty good match. Ending win in the year 2019, Rob Van Dam turned heel. Not Rhino turned heel on Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam turned heel on Rhino. Fans in 2019 are supposed to boo Rob Van Dam. Hey, listen, maybe it'll work. Who am I to judge? We'll find out. But I was slack-jawed when Rob Van Dam turned on Rhino. Michael Elgin faced Naomichi Marafuji, and they worked so hard. They had a very Japanese-style match. I mean, every everything you would see in any G1 match, they did. Big move, kick out at one, big striking battle in the middle of the ring finishers kicked it the whole nine yards. Nobody cared. I mean, absolutely dead quiet crowd for this match. But, man, it was funny. They could have gone out there and just reverted to an American-style match, and maybe these fans would have gotten into it. But I don't know. It would have been weird. Well, they didn't. They stuck to their guns, and they did their match. And, like, if you watch it on mute, you probably would have been like, man, that was a great match. If you watch it with sound, it's just... totally dead crowd watching them do their thing elgin hit a burning hammer got the pin i liked the match fans got into it for the last minute but that was bizarre to watch we had ace austin ac romero tessa blanchard daga and jake christ in a five-way x division ladder match which was pretty insane largely because ac romero at like 500 pounds fell off of a ladder bounced off the top rope Went through a table outside. The ladder fell out of the ring and landed on top of him after all of this, like a cartoon. I thought the guy was dead, but he was alive. And Ace Austin stole the belt just as Tessa Blanchard was about to get it. Tessa Blanchard has now failed getting a world title match. She's now failed getting an X-Division title match. Clearly, the long-term story is she's going to win one of these men's titles. She was the best wrestler in this match. Yes, including Daga. I'll duck now, but it's true. She was very good, and this match was, if nothing else, very exciting. They had a Moose versus Ken Shamrock match, and the match wasn't very good. Dave thought it sucked. I would not go that far. They tried. Ken Shamrock did several dives. Ken Shamrock did a Hurricane Rana. Ken Shamrock got very tired. He's 55 years old. He got tired, but. Quite frankly, they did the best they could. It certainly could not live up to the video package. I'm not even kidding. The video package for this match was one of the best things I've seen in pro wrestling this year. I'm absolutely not kidding. Ken Shamrock, when he's in his element, and that is cutting a promo on a guy like it's going to be a real fight, he was awesome. Moose was great. Moose is being trained by Frank Trigg. Frank Trigg was great as Moose's manager in his video package. They shot an angle, which was straight out of a story from, if I recall correctly, like 1995, when they sent Yoji Anjo to Hicks and Gracie's dojo because they thought that Yoji Anjo was going to go in there and be able to beat up Hicks and Gracie. And Hicks and Gracie was not at the dojo, and Yoji Anjo went inside, and he started bullying everybody, and they called Hickson, and keep in mind, like, Yoji Anjo had trained and trained and trained and trained, and Hickson was just doing whatever he was doing in Southern California, and they called him, and Hickson got a ride to the dojo, he taped his fists in the car, he walked inside, they shut all of the doors they kicked everybody out i believe i know there were cameras in there cuz this was being filmed the the film has never come to light but Hickson has since teased that he has the tape and perhaps he will he will release it someday but long story short he went in there no training no warm up nothing he massacred yoji anjo just brutalized him He tapped him out, he gave him a vicious beating on top of that. Yoji left humiliated, covered in blood. And this actually led to, like, the formation of Pride and really everything that we see nowadays with mixed martial arts in Japan. It was a very historic moment, but long story short. Moose was Yoji Anjo. And so he walked into Shamrock's gym, he bullies all the trainees, he beat them all up. It was just an awesome video. It was so great. And unfortunately, the much like actually the Takata-Hicks and Gracie match, the fight itself could not live up to the hype. But they tried, and I loved every moment of it. So unabashedly loved it. And then the main event was Brian Cage and Sammy Callahan. And long story short, Brian Cage won the title but hurt his back, and he was not happy with the match. He was not happy with the title reign. He wanted to go in there and do a world championship battle and defend the title, and this was his opportunity to do it. And him and Sammy Callahan did like... Actually, I can tell you this is a fact. They didn't do everything because they got their time cut a little bit, and they had even more crazy stuff that they didn't have a chance to do, but they did every crazy thing that you could think of, including thumbtacks. Brian Cage gave him a drill claw into the tacks, got the pin, retained the title, celebrated with his wife, uh, Melissa Santos, who had been bullied by Sammy Callahan, I thought it was a very good match. It's not my style of match, but for what they did for the storyline, for what they did for the payoff, I thought it was really good. I really liked it, and that was the show. And if anybody else watched it, you're welcome to give your feedback. Mike, I presume you didn't watch any of it.
4: You know I did not watch any of it at all, although now I want to go back and see at least a couple of spots. So the large man, let me rewind to that very quickly here. That large man that was in the match with Tessa Blanchard, who... If you have heard anything about this show, it's that Tessa Blanchard has looked fantastic. That's the one thing I saw all well, the time. She did. Definitely last night. She is a future star. It gets thrown around a lot. Tessa Blanchard, still in this business, is going to be a future star. But so the gentleman that took the, um, I believe you declared it last night, a Looney Tunes type of bump. I yes. Mean, how dangerous was this bump? Because usually, Dude, even though he's a crazy, 500
2: pound guy, imagine this, everyone. We've seen yes. this before. They set up—I'll I'll take you through the whole spot. I remember it like—I I didn't write anything down, but I remember vividly, and I'll probably always remember what happened. A.C. <laughs> Romero is a giant, fat guy, okay? 500 pounds, probably. So everyone is out of the ring. It's a ladder match. He goes to climb. X Division, by the way. He's 500 pounds. So he goes to climb this ladder, and he realizes, I am too fat. So they actually did a spot earlier. This, the spot earlier is what I'm talking about here with him and Tessa, where he realizes he's too fat, so he goes to get a second ladder. So he's going to climb up two ladders next to each other to make sure they're stable enough. So later, the ring is cleared again, and he goes to set up a second ladder. But he sets it up not underneath the belt. And they shoot it in such a way, unfortunately, that you can see that he's not underneath the belt. And so he starts to climb, and I knew immediately that he was going to do something really dumb. There's a table outside the ring. He's three-quarters up, the, up, the, up this ladder. 300, 400, 500 pounds. I don't even know what he really is, but he's enormous. Tessa goes, and she tips the ladder over. He falls off the ladder. He hits the top rope on the way down. He crashes through the table to the floor. The ladder continues to tip and goes over the top rope and lands on his body on the floor. It was Wiley Coyote. Back in a moment, Observer Live.
0: 800-470-7113. That's
1: 800-470-7113. You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
2: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Simpervivi, also WrestlingObserver.com. I'm going to read this text message. I'm going to answer this one time, and I do not want anyone to ask it again. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. This person says, do you have any additional information as to why Kylie Ray asked for her release from AEW? So far, she has only worked shows, including last night's Impact, in and around Chicago. But if she starts touring with Impact shouldn't we presume something insidious happen internally with AEW with no statement from either side saying otherwise Kylie Ray had a personal issue that is none of anyone's business and she got out of wrestling She then decided later That she wanted to give it another shot. And she's done a few shows. Now, if she begins touring with Impact or going elsewhere, no, you should not automatically assume that something insidious happened with her in AEW. There are a thousand reasons that something might not work out for somebody in a particular company. There's Dozens of people that would love to get out of WWE. I'm sure there are people under contract that would like to get out of ROH and MLW and every promotion in the world. And it's not because something insidious happened there. What happened with Kylie Ray, the reason she got out of wrestling was a personal issue. Now, maybe something happened in AEW where she decided, if I return to wrestling, I probably do not want to go back to AEW. But for those of you that are looking for some massive scandal, or some horrible, terrible thing that happened, there is no such horrible, terrible thing that happened. Now, my understanding is that something happened, but the idea that it's something horrible or terrible or scandalous, my impression was it was nothing like that. Sometimes... People just don't work in certain places. It happens all over the world, and it's not a scandal. But the larger issue of what happened with Kylie Ray was a very personal issue, and everybody needs to just move on with their lives. It's it's not just because somebody entertains you in wrestling doesn't mean that you need to know every single thing about their personal lives. Either that these are their personal lives yes. that we're talking about here. Yes. So let's all move on. Let's hope that Kylie Ray comes back to wrestling and has a great time and has a very successful career, and that's it.
4: When she's ready to talk about it, if she ever is, you'll hear about it from that point forward. If you want to support her, then go out there, and every time she's out there, watch a show that she's on, buy a piece of merch that she's got, and leave her to be to herself and get out of her personal life. Thank you.
2: So New Japan announced a very bizarre thing last night. At a press conference overnight, New Japan officially announced the formation of an American subsidiary. It's named New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. It was noted that this is a phase three of New Japan's international business plan. Step one was searching for talent. Step two was running shows in the U.S. and other countries and markets. Operations are scheduled to begin next month. A map of markets. They they There's a map they provided. Okay? So they got a map of America and... Long story short, they plan to run in the West, six cities in four states. In the East, four cities in three states. In the Mid, seven cities and six states.
4: (laughs) Shout out to the Mid.
2: In the Southeast, six cities in four states. And in Texas, four cities. What? Yeah, Texas. So I guess looking at this map, like if you're in Arizona, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, North and South Dakota, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, I mean you'll never get a show. Big Virginia, Mid, you never know. I mean Maine, you're out of luck. Oh, well. I mean I, 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 there's so many things to talk about here.
4: Wait, I think you're you're. Look, the fact that they're even trying to run this many shows, forget about Maine. Let's try to get enough people going to San Francisco or L.A. And I think the 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 underreported part of this is they are saying that they are are aiming because and I even if you want to say, okay, they are a live event touring company. I get that mentality uh, from the top, at least not. I'm not talking about the wrestling part from the corporate part. Okay, fine. They're coming here to run two and three thousand seat venues and i know they make a ton on merch and all that sort of stuff but i think to myself okay unless you've got some sort of great deal with an airline and a whole bunch of other logistical things how is this the best way for you to build yourself in this country how is this a way for for you to really step up and make the impact that you need and i don't there are a lot of things to unpack about this. I don't know how much we'll do it today. This is going to be something that we're going to be looking at a lot into the future as well, too. But, yeah, it is uh, it is an interesting way that they have decided to go about doing things. And I look at the way that New Japan has currently expanded in the United States and – I don't think it'll be as big of a fail as the possibilities of WWE trying to do business in Japan because I've seen American businesses uh, sparkle very, very uh, limitedly and then just completely crash very, very badly. So we'll have to see what happens there. But I'm not very bullish on this approach. You're going to run Texas. If I'm not mistaken, the Funks did sell the Double Cross Ranch a long time ago. We don't, we don't send Jumbo Saruta, uh to go wrestle in Amarillo anymore where there's, like, this pocket of territory. I get running Dallas. Completely understand that. I can even understand running Houston if you're going to run that same week. Maybe go to a New Orleans or go to somewhere else that's close to that. But you're going to run Texas? Like, you're going to run Houston and well, where? San Antonio? I mean, I don't really understand that. I mean, there's a there's a far bigger—here's the thing.
2: I don't even know why they provided a map. Like, okay, why have you decided the 27 cities or whatever that you're going to run, and like, that's just the cities you're going to run. They've got a subscription service, New Japan World, and they've got like 100,000 subscribers. And I don't know how many of those are from the United States, but there's a substantial amount from the United States. So... Like, I don't know the infrastructure of New Japan World, but it should take you like five minutes to go through the subscriptions and sort them by where they are in the United States and find out, okay, what are the top markets? Where should we run? I mean, listen, I don't think that they've got 35,000 subscribers in Kansas, okay? But maybe they do, all right? So you go through there, you find out, all right, where where are... Where's our fan base that actually is paying money for our product okay well they're here well let's try and run some shows here don't commit to we're gonna run Seattle you know three times a year or one time a year whatever find out your I mean this is already what aew does they look at their ticket sales they look at their they look at every analytic and they find out where are these people coming from hey let's run shows there furthermore this whole business model is apparently based on, We're going to run shows in America that are branded New Japan shows. But, like, I don't even know who's going to be on these shows. They're in between tours, so you may get some of the bigger stars. But do American fans really want to go to a New Japan show with mostly, like, L.A. Dojo talent and a couple of stars on top? I mean, they've already done
4: that. That's it. I think we've already that And it's not doing that that well. No, no. I mean, Jushin
2: Liger's retirement show in the U.S., is coming up in San Jose here in a few weeks and it's not even doing very well. Well. That's New that's, Japan. That's the retirement of Liger. You ain't getting much bigger than that. That's I don't why know. I'm not
4: I, I don't understand why they're they're kinda going about things in the way that they have, in the way that they've had in, in the United States, even previously and then kinda again leading into to now. With what they're doing currently and what they're looking at in the future, I do, I scratch my head at it a little bit. And I think they're burning their way. It's basically a waste of their money. And it's not like they don't have it. It's not like if all of this just completely bottoms out, they can't just go back to Japan and and run, you know, internally in Japan and be completely fine. And, And, you know, there's a lot of old fans that'll be completely fine with that. But as far as the growth in the States goes, to me they they do need to rely more on strategically placing their shows on good weekends uh that are good travel weekends and things like that and looking more at that aspect of things when can i maximize my talent because that's going to be another thing too and i'm going to shift completely away from that just to to go to this for a minute one of the great parts about new japan's schedule as far as the the quote, the traditional quote unquote Japanese schedule, is you get time off between tours, you get the ability to rest up you know and with these guys and the the rate that they go at, you know they need that time it 's very beneficial to them for this to kind of be this is going to be interesting to see how they decide to rotate guys in uh, in between these tours as they come to the United States because. Yes, you can't have Naito on every show, but you know what? You're going to have to have an Okada on every show or an Ibushi on every show. It's going to be interesting to see how they decide to rotate guys and, and who's for it and who's not. And not only in the United States, I mean, how does this affect their dealings in the UK? I mean, Mexico to a lesser extent, but you know, guys who go on tour in the UK, going to tour in Australia, they keep continuing to grow that market, and there's going to be more probably, you know, attention paid to there, too. It's, it's this whole global expansion from New Japan is going to be really interesting because it's not as accessible to a lot of people listening out there as the WWE stuff, but this is a big company with a lot of irons in the fire, and it's going to be really interesting to see where their future is because they're riding high right now but they're making a lot of decisions that you know for good or for bad are really going to affect a lot of things moving forward maybe not just you know for the next couple of years but for decades down the road
2: the other thing that is a potential issue is they were talking about the access show and there will not be a reduction in the number of japanese events we have worked well with access tv we will continue to do so in the foreseeable future i don't know if that's a guarantee yeah. Like if your business model is built around being on Access TV, I don't know if that's uh, guaranteed. Back in a moment, it live.
3: Message and data rates may apply. Please do not text and drive. CPurple.com for terms and conditions.
5: And now for an important announcement. Do you, or does someone you know, sweat the bed? Do you ever wake up feeling like you've been sleeping on a slip and slide? Sweating the bed is a serious but a common problem that affects your sleep, health, and happiness. Plus, it's just plain gross. But it's not you, it's your mattress. Fortunately, Try the Purple Mattress risk-free for 100 nights and never sweat the bed again. And for a limited time, pick a free Purple product with your mattress purchase by texting SLEEPY to 84888. The coolest sleep of your life and a free Purple product by texting SLEEPY to 84888. That's S-L-E-E-P-Y to 84888. Today through next Tuesday, Lumber Liquidator's Flooring Yard Sale has over 400 floors on sale, up to 50% off. It's a sale so abundant that it literally cannot fit in our showroom and must spill out onto our parking lot. Or, for the sake of the metaphor, our yard. Or is it our driveway? Let's not get caught up in semantics. What's important here is that there are many, many floors on sale, up to 50% off. These are the floors homes are built on. Lumber Liquidators Flooring.
3: If you need fast cash for any reason, go to moneynow100.com. Good bad or no credit at all. Go to moneynow100.com. You could get up to $5000 as soon as the next business day. Go to moneynow100.com on your phone, tablet or computer. Type in the address bar moneynow100.com. That's moneynow the number 100.com.
4: The great thing about facts, they're proven. Like the fact
3: that crude oil contains impurities. Or that base oil made from natural gas is 99.5% free of impurities. And the fact that Pennzoil is the first synthetic motor oil made from natural gas, not crude oil. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Based on Sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Get a $100 travel reward credit with a full synthetic oil change through October 31st, 2019. Terms apply? Visit
1: Pennzoil.com slash travel You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. All
2: right, according to Super Luchas, La Parca was doing a dive, and his foot got caught on the ropes, and he smashed into the ground and the guardrail, and was unconscious. And the medical people got to him very, very quickly, and he was out. And when they took him to the hospital, apparently he could not feel his arms or his legs. So it was actually both at the time. And after a little while, he regained feeling in his extremities. But they diagnosed him with a neck and cervical fracture. And so this morning, he underwent surgery to relieve pressure in the area and repair the fractured vertebrae. And now we are just waiting to see how he recovers after the surgery so that is the update on him
4: and somebody that was brutal i just you know for anybody i I would not suggest going out there and searching that one it was a it was just a nasty fall and uh yeah and just it's a reminder of how dangerous all this is you know moose did save ken shamrock's life last night i did see the little clip of that uh, with basically catching him and flipping him over as Shamrock was going to go head first and basically lawn dart himself into the ramp is what it looked like if Moose didn't catch him and flip him over and land him on his back. But just a reminder about, you know, we see these dives so often now and, and you know, Oe, with what OWE does and, and a lot of the guys in all elite are bringing in, you know, that's being seen by a lot more people now. It's a lot, uh, you know, this is the new wrestling in, in a lot of ways. And you forget that, you know, these dives are so common. You forget how much some of these dives, how dangerous they really are. And that was a great example of it.
2: This says, what is your thought on the amount of dives in every single match? The injury shows they can be very dangerous. Well, this is my thoughts on these dives. We are not living in an era where people are going to start doing less dives. Dives are a part of wrestling and dives are things that people are going to do. And the reality is that every time you do a dive, you're taking a risk. And thus, if you're doing one dive in every match, you're taking that risk. If you do three dives, you're tripling your risk. And, I mean, here's my thought on dives as a wrestler, okay? Yes, dives are considered high-risk moves. And if something goes wrong, you can really get hurt. But the reality is that if you think about some of the most horrible things that have happened in wrestling things that have where people have actually died I mean like Paraguayo jr took a drop toe hold into the ropes and I believe it was oro took a chop yeah and you know forget death I mean I don't I don't know what happened to uh Xavier woods to hurt his Achilles tendon But there's a very good chance that he took a step. And the reality is that anything that you do in the ring, forget that things are called high-risk maneuvers. The reality is that anything that you do in the ring, you put yourself at risk. Forget deaths. Like, some of the most painful injuries that people have suffered have been from doing nothing that would be considered high-risk. Walking, I mean... Drop toe holds into the ropes, buckle bombs. I know that some people say the buckle bomb is very dangerous, but like the idea of behind a buckle bomb is not that you power bomb someone's neck into the top turnbuckle. I mean, it's the idea that you lift them up for a power bomb, you throw them, and they land standing up, basically taking the same buckle that Daniel Bryan takes when he runs across the ring to hit the buckle to run to the other side. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Accidents can happen at any time. And I mean, it's not even just. All of these guys that have been doing this for a long time are the walking wounded. And the best example, and I, I hate to bring it up, because, but I, I, honest to God, I think this is not going to end well. It's Naito. I mean, this guy has been dropped on his head so many times. And he gets back up, and he keeps wrestling. And so I think there are some fans that just feel like, you know, he knows what he's doing, and he's not hurting himself. But the reality is, you can look at Naito's physique... You can look at his arms. You can look at his upper body. And the reality is, he is ravaged. His his neck is shot. I'm sure his back is shot. I don't know if he can lift anymore. I don't know what kind of feeling he has in his arms. I mean, you can just look at his physique, and it's very obvious that in his movement in the ring, in his matches, he's not what he used to be. And when, when Misawa died, he took a... Um, it was like a high-angle back suplex that he'd taken a billion times. But his neck was so ravaged from landing on his head so many times that he took that one bump and he died. He had an in- internal decapitation. Every time I say that, I get new text messages from people that are just appalled when they hear that for the first time. But that's what happened, that's what internal happened. decapitation. And, you know, a lot of these injuries, I don't know – I don't think we ever really learned what happened to Pero Aguayo. But, you know, Pero Aguayo, those big-time stars down in Mexico, I mean, you don't even know the number of dates that those guys work. I mean, it's not like they're working one show a week. It's not like they're working five shows a week. I mean, there are guys down there that on a Sunday afternoon, they work three matches. They work four matches. They just go show to show to show. Very, very hard rings. These people's their, their bodies are thrashed. And so what might not hurt a normal athlete can result in someone suffering a catastrophic injury and ending up injured, paralyzed, or dead. So, yeah, people do too much. But it's just, that's the way the business is today, and it can't be
4: avoided. That's it. And if, you know, I just, there's, you know, look at Mike Quackenbush. You know, a perfect trainer. If somebody is into, you know, that that style or is impressed by that style, you know, it's like anything else. Seek out those who can help you. And if that's what, if you see Jack Evans and go, yeah, that's the pro wrestler I want to be like, you know, (laughs) it's like everything else. Try to seek out those people that can help you the best. And I, you know, I'm sure it's very difficult in some places as you're trying to come up and you have people that'll, you know, train anybody who have no training themselves whatsoever. But it's always been one of the things I've always been so impressed by tory into dragon gate and the entire history of dragon gate where you know guys get hurt obviously but it's the amount of repetition that those guys do to pull off the moves that they do the amount of practice it takes and you know forget about what anybody wants to say about the style you know I, i think we hear less about injuries coming out of that because again the reputation is nailed down so much over and over again and You know, obviously dives aren't going to be taken out of of wrestling, but if that's, you know, a style that you want to work, you know, that's just please try to find people that can help you out and be able to control your body and, and do as much as you can to try to make it as safe as you possibly can. I
2: will say this. I will say this is a criticism of dives. Okay, So. There are two kinds of dives in pro wrestling. There are. The dives where you throw yourself in such a way that your opponent is going to catch you. And a great example would be if you decide you're going to do like a high cross off the post. And there's two guys outside and they're going to catch you and they're both going to fall down. That's a dive where you are throwing yourself in such a way that you can in fact be caught. There are also a lot of dives nowadays where even though the term is catch, there's no way to that you could be caught. And I'll give you a great example because we see it all the time. Charlotte does these moonsaults all the time where they are not designed for her to be caught. What she does is she does a flip off something and her opponent stands near her and then when Charlotte lands, the opponent falls down. Nobody catches Charlotte on a moonsault, ever. Like, she just does a backflip off the post and she lands on her feet. And her opponent just falls down when she lands. Happens all the time. Now, the, the worst kind of dives are the dives that are not designed to be caught, but you're also not really going to land on your own feet. At least when Charlotte does a moonsault off the barricade. She was a gymnast. She does a flip. She lands on her feet. Everything's fine. The dives like a flip dive off the post where you're going to hit somebody with your back. You know how hard it is to catch that? Like, it's virtually impossible. It's like you're going to just jump off and flip and you're going to hit them with something and they're going to get hit with your back and you're both going to fall down. And we've seen people that have done that kind of dive off the post and they've landed on somebody's head and broke their neck. It happened an impact. So you're just not going to be able to stop people from doing dives. But, I mean, there is like a level of safety. I mean, there's a level of, of risk. And I would prefer that you do as many dives as you want, but like do the lower risk ones. Like, most fans can't tell the difference between, like, a real high-risk dive and a low-risk dive. All they see is you jumping up in the air and landing on it, dude. They go, ah, we saw something crazy. Like, I, I was a gymnast, so I can watch Olympic female gymnasts do the absolute craziest things where they do, like, a double layout with three twists. And because I was a gymnast, I can see all three twists and the double layout. But to a lot of people that don't watch a lot of gymnastics... They just see someone doing a flip and it looks really cool. So, to me, there's a lot of dives you can do where the risk is lower. But a lot of people, because they've been in wrestling and they know what's dangerous and not dangerous, they like doing the really crazy stuff. And most fans can't even tell the difference. And you're you're adding an extra risk there that doesn't need to be taken.
4: Too many large dudes doing dives too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> way too many large. One thing if you got. Uh, if Keith Lee's diving onto Dijakovic or, or vice versa, where a guy can catch the other guy, but you see some of these on indie shows, and it's like, you know, the guy that's doing the cannonball over the top rope that's landing on the guy who's about 175 pounds less than him, you know, and he, it rolls off, it looks perfect. It's like, you know, it, one day, because, you know, you're taking this risk for no reason, like, that guy's going to break his neck who's supposed to be catching that one guy, and that one guy who's supposed to be getting caught and rolling off smoothly he's going to end up breaking both legs. This person here says,
2: and I lost his text message. If numbers for SmackDown drop below the average USA numbers, are we expecting Fox to kick WWE down to FS1 permanently? I don't know what the threshold is. I, and honest to God, I don't even know if contractually they can do that. Now, granted, there's a million television shows that are contracted for X number of episodes that get canceled. So, like, I don't know. But here's the thing. The Friday numbers on Fox the one thing that everyone needs to consider is if you have a first-run show on Friday night on Fox, it's doing way, way more viewers than SmackDown. But if you think about rerun season, SmackDown is going to do better numbers than shows on Friday night in rerun season. So it's, it's a very complicated thing. SmackDown needs to do, on average better than Fox is going to do on average if you average in the big numbers during the first run season and the low numbers during the rerun season. I have no idea what that number is. You also have to take into account the fact that, yes, SmackDown is doing good numbers in the 18-49 to demo, but the ad rates for wrestling are so much lower. I think Dave said that they're like, I mean, I can't remember. It was like 30% of what a normal show would do in that demo. So the 18 to 49 numbers are less impressive than they appear because because Fox can't sell ads for the same price as another show that's doing equal numbers. So as was the case when Jim Ross used to have to do payoff pay-per-view payoffs for uh, WWE pay-per-views, it's a very, very complicated formula. And I don't know what the formula is or how it's going to work out, but it's a while before we need to have this discussion. Let's just put it that way. When I it think. Comes-
4: when it comes to to TV too, here's the one thing, no matter, I, obviously we're going to be talking about these numbers constantly and people are going to be interested in them. When it comes to the TV industry, you're going to know very clearly when people are perturbed with SmackDown on Fox. It is not going to take a whole lot of time. If there's, you know, there's always that whole thing about, you know, the cancellation season as soon as the fall season begins, you know, that countdown begins, but That's not going to be a case for SmackDown here, but as far as, like, scuttlebutt from how they're doing on Fox and what the Fox, you know, the people that don't like wrestling and the drama types and those types of people, believe me, it will not take long to to get people's opinions internally on Fox. Back in a moment with more Wrestling Observer Live.
1: you are listening to wrestling observer live with brian alvarez and mike sempervivi on the sports byline broadcasting network hi
2: back on the show everybody brian alvarez here wrestling observer live this person here says i'm not gonna yell at this person i'm gonna try and contain myself All right. he says you say naito works a dangerous style but what about Ibushi? this is not a what about issue Yes, obviously, Ibushi also works a stupid style. I could say that about a thousand guys. But I had to choose one. It happened to be Naito. Doesn't mean he's the only one,
4: obviously. He's the one that I used. This person well, here. It's like pointing out Kurt Angle. It's like There are a lot of guys you could point out with neck issues. It's just when you point out sometimes, it's like it's easy to go to the guy with the obvious problems. This person says, I remember
2: seeing Kevin Nash separate his quad getting into the ring during a six-man. That's a low-risk injury. Listen, I'm not... I don't want to come on here and just, like, say... Everyone should do as many dives as they can because they're safe. Okay? I'm not saying that. But I bet you, if you really look through everybody's injury record... There's plenty of guys who have done tons of dives in their careers. And they've never suffered an injury doing dives. But they've suffered plenty of injuries doing other things. And I think that I honestly... It's another gymnastics tie-in. When I used to teach gymnastics, you know how many gymnasts I knew that could like do crazy things on the balance beam, but then they trip over a curb? Because there's like this thing where when you know you're doing something high risk, like you really concentrate. Whereas when you're doing something that doesn't feel high risk, like sometimes you kind of get lazy and go through the motions. And I think there might be part of that as to the reason why you see a lot of injuries doing things that like you should never get hurt on. But then this high risk stuff, people like don't get hurt on. But of
4: Brian course got hurt treading up the
2: steps. there hey, a dude just got hurt during doing a tope yesterday. These things aren't safe. I'm just trying to make everything as clear as I can. Hey, we're out of time everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Mike will at least, wrestling observer live.